well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking with Mike Harris of the Gun Owners Action League in Massachusetts as the state Senate inches closer to unleashing its own gun control bill. You know, the House played their shenanigans Really, uh, all last summer and last fall with their uh, Kerry Killer legislation, right? You know, so bad that in unanimous opposition uh, from the Massachusetts Police Chiefs Association, obviously from gun owners across the state as well, they pulled back the bill, they reintroduced the bill, new bill number, changed bill number, I think, three different times before they uh, passed it. Still were never able to uh, get the support of uh, groups like the Gun Owners Action League or police chiefs in the state of Massachusetts, but they did pass their own anti-gun bill, uh, but the state Senate, it's not taking it up. They're they're crafting their own measure. Being, I will say, they're being more deliberative. That doesn't mean it's going to be a better bill when they finally release it. But um, apparently, they are getting close. The uh, self-imposed deadline is the end of January. Uh, it could get pushed back, I suppose. And fingers crossed that it does, because uh, you know the longer it takes for them to uh, introduce this bill, then the less time they have to actually pass it. But Let's get an update from Mike Harris with the Gun Owners Action League. He's been paying very close attention, talking to lawmakers as the sausage is being made. Take a look and a listen. Mike, Happy New Year to you, sir. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Yeah, you too, Cam. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. I think you're the last person I'm going to say Happy uh, New Year to because it is like <laughs> almost mid-January now. But it is the first yeah, time guess. of 2024 that I've had a chance to speak with you. And yeah. Saw a uh, story in the Boston Herald a couple of days ago about how the Senate's gun control bill is starting to uh, take shape, right? Senate Democrats yeah. getting a handle on the uh, gun reform bill. They say that this is going to be unleashed by the end of the month. Is that right? Yeah, that's what we've that's what we've been told since like November ish. Like after the House pulled their shenanigans, mm -hmm. um, it took like a week or two to for the Senate to kind of respond and say, "Ooh, we're not going to do that, but we are going to do something, and we'll have it out." You know, there, I think originally they said uh, end of December, and then they kind of got partway through it and said, this is a little more complicated than we thought. Let's push to January. So, you know, <laughs> see Imagine what a that. month does. <laughs> Massachusetts bills complicated uh, when it comes yeah. to guns. Uh, you know, it, that might be because you all have so many laws already on the books, right? Uh, it is this sort of house yeah. of cards that has been stacked up over the decades. Yeah. So, so what are you hearing about what's going to be in the Senate bill? So I actually kind of made some notes for that. So we're, <laughs> we 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 don't really have any solid information exactly of what they're they're going to do, you know, black and white policy wise. Mm -hmm. But the the kind of the ideas that they're they're going for are kind of um, they're looking for information about ghost guns, you know, quote unquote uh, parts. Um, you know they want to reinforce the 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 pistol rosters and all that stuff so they're they're kind of going after people who are doing glock transfers and that kind of stuff uh because right now in Massachusetts a frame or receiver is not considered a gun until it can fire a projectile so even though federally it's considered a a, a you know a frame or receiver is considered a firearm in Massachusetts it's not so i think they're they're you know, they throw the word loophole around a lot, but, you know, it's just the way the law is written. Um, and uh, that's kind of one of the things they're going to go after. So it's parts kits, ghost guns, uh, increased training requirements. I don't think they're going to go quite as far as the House did. 
Um, but, you know, I think we're probably going to see live fire, which is just silly. Um, uh, we can get into that in a minute, too, if you want to talk yeah, about I that. Do. That's, a, that's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we're really hearing about is uh, red flags and mental health stuff, which is fine. I mean, we're we're not in favor of red flag bills, obviously. Um, you know, we, we think the whole process is is not con- everybody likes to say unconstitutional, but I, I, I like to say that it's not constitutionally defined yet. Um, because you know, the, the term due process is also thrown a lot, thrown around a lot. And, and due process is kind of, uh, I'm not gonna say it's a subjective standard, but it kind of is in the fact that, you know, each type of penalty or proceeding is its own due is given its own due process. So if, you know, a higher court determines that, you know, certain parts of the red flag or, you know, that kind of process is okay, then I guess it's okay. It's kind of what the courts are for. But, you know, we haven't had that type of a higher court definition given to us yet. So right now we're still fighting the fight. (laughs) Well, and, you know, red flag laws, I think are, um, I mean, look, one of the reasons why they're popular among gun control groups is because they are based on, you know, uh, orders of protection, domestic violence mm-hmm. uh, orders and and things that, mm-hmm. you know, again, we might say don't have a whole lot of due process, but it's based on a system that's been upheld in the law. Right. So right. that's why they sort of, OK, well, let's tweak this. And that way, you know, hopefully this will stand. Right. You are seeing uh, challenges to red flag laws. There's a, a lawsuit in Maryland uh, filed mm-hmm. by the Second Amendment Foundation that I think right. has a really good chance. Um, in part because of the way the Maryland law is written, but we've also seen the abuses. You know, when I think about due process, I think about things not only like ex parte hearings where the subject of the petition is completely unaware that this hearing is taking place. Yeah, Fifth um, Amendment issues. Right. Uh, yeah. But you also look at, you know, red flag laws are civil in nature. They're not criminal. So if you can't afford right. an attorney, you're on your own in most exactly. states. Um, there have been some states that have actually said, OK, listen, yes, you do have access to a public defender. Um, which is, again, a good step in terms of maintaining due process. But there are a lot of issues, um, you know, when you, and you got to get into the details of these right. things, right? So yep. when you're talking about something we haven't, language we haven't seen yet, <laughs> I don't expect you to object, uh, at least again, yep. uh, object in theory to red flag laws, absolutely. But uh, y- y- the devil's in the details here. So I, exactly. I, I have mean, to wait. I mean, applying 50 different standards to the deprivation of a federally protected civil right or constitutionally protected civil right is is a big deal i mean that's yeah that's a that's a problem that's something that is is going to have to be defined at some point or just thrown out and one of the things that we took exception with or huge exception with uh in the version of the house bill was it just expanded the list of who could file a red flag law you know anything from like your boss at work to you know, a next door neighbor or a, a school principal, like stuff like that. It, it mm-hmm. was kind of, or even a teacher. It was, it was nuts. So you know, we took, we took, you know, huge exception to the expansion of that. And then, you know, just the, the ability for somebody to just kind of just throw this around and just use it as a weapon just became, um, you know, a huge red flag for us about it. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, and it, it's interesting to me to to see how the rhetoric around red flags have shifted from the part of the gun control lobby. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. when, let's say five years ago, 
Um, it was sort of like listening to Democrats talk about abortion in the 1990s, right? It should be safe, yeah. legal, and rare. Um, right. So yes, we should have this process, but you know, it's only for extraordinary circumstances. And over the last couple of years, it's been, well, these aren't being used enough, right? So as you say, we're right. going to expand the pool of who can. So the question then becomes, okay, well, how many red flag petitions do you think should be issued in any given year? Exactly. Uh, because it seems to me like you're right. This is this is gone from uh, a tool that will only be rarely deployed in the most you know egregious of circumstances to something yeah. that, you know, Kathy Hochul, for example, in New York has told the New York State Police, listen, every oh, time. You think that, uh, uh, you know, you can uh, uh, use this order. We want you to apply for an ERPA order um, to the point that, you know, police were the New York State police at one point was like, listen, we don't have officers. You got to make a decision, Governor. Right? Do you want us <laughs> yeah. to go out and do our job and make arrests or do you want us to be in court testifying yeah. in all of these red flag cases? Huge. Um, so this is a big issue. But I, I, yeah. I do I don't want to dwell on this too much. Mm-hmm. I do want to go back to the live fire. Yeah. Component because this is something we know is in the House bill. Did you say it's it's it sounds like some version of this is going to be in the Senate bill? That's what we're told. Okay. So I know why this is problematic. I'm pretty sure our audience mm. knows why this is problematic, but tell me in your words, Mike, why this is problematic. So in Massachusetts, it's it's kind of uniquely problematic in so far that we do not have public ranges in Massachusetts. They don't exist. I can think off the top of my head across the entire state. We have about four for-profit ranges that you can go and and rent range time. I think there's four. There's one in Chelmsford. There's one in uh, down in down the Cape. There's one in you know Attleboro, and there's one in like Halls Holliston. And they're okay. all in they're all in the eastern part of the state. Every single one of them. And I I can't think of anywhere else where you can even do that. Um, so that means the rest of the gun ranges are private clubs that are operated by a board and are privately owned and are subject to, you know, their own restrictions as far as, you know, membership numbers go, capacity issues, um, you know, balancing uh, training uh, rental of the ranges to, mm-hmm. you know, up against the the members who pay to use them, using them, and, you know, all the way down to just capacity issues of how many people can be members. Right. Um, so, in Massachusetts, like I said, it's it's kind of a unique issue where where are you going to do this live fire training? Where is it going to happen? You know, the most at goal, we encourage live fire training when you go in and take your class for your for your your license. We don't recommend any classes where you don't do that. However, mandating it on the state level is it's it's a financial burden. It's a time commitment. It's it's a matter of finding a place to go to do it. And it's, yep. and it, and especially in the city, you know, we, we have, we've started to kind of expand our reach into, into the city. And we've, we've found that there's a, there's a huge contingency of the population in the city that, you know, don't own vehicles or don't have a way to get to, um, you know, a, a gun range out in like Webster, Massachusetts, to to go and take live fire training if they they can't get out there so yeah. and there's and there's none of these facilities in Bo- in the, within the city limits of Boston and if you think for a half a second that the city council will grant uh, a zoning petition to someone who wants to open up a gun range inside the city limits I- I'll sell you all yeah. the bridges in town I, I mean <laughs> it, it's it's not going to happen so you know it's it's just another hurdle for people who want to exercise their second amendment rights and 
will not get to do so because of you know this this brand new arbitrary requirement on them you know they, yeah. they make the argument all the time that it's like driving a car and you don't you don't get your license until you have so many driving hours and all this stuff it's like well you know we say this until we're blue in the face driving a car is not protected in the constitution it's yeah. it's not there i haven't found it <laughs> so right. no it's it's just a different standard well, and you know, so this issue has popped up uh, in Washington D.C. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because there, there is a, a range time requirement, and there are no ranges in Washington D.C. So, same issue, right? If if you yeah. live in the District of Columbia and you want to get a concealed carry license, you've got to go to Maryland, you've got to go to Virginia, uh, and again, if you're relying on I'd, public transportation, I'd like to see somebody petition to use the Hoover Building. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to get this so bad? Let me use your facility. Right. Well, so that is actually, I think, a, a valid suggestion. Maybe not the Hoover Building, uh, although it'd be great to see. But you know, again, if you're going to tell me that I have to take this course and I have to go through all of this, then yeah. you need to provide me with a location where I can do so. Um, yeah. because otherwise, again, this, this to me seems to be an impermissible barrier, as you say, to exercise in this, right. We're going to make it as hard as possible for you to get the train, yeah. because we know that there are, you know, a, let's call it a range desert, uh, mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, oh, yeah. that's, right. That's a good way, yeah. That's a good way to put it. I, I, I'm going to steal that from you. Okay. Graham, please do. <laughs> <laughs> please do. Um, you know, and, and, and so we, again, we know that this is happening as yeah. Massachusetts, unfortunately, is not the leader in this. Uh, we've no. seen this before. And you're absolutely right. Look, I encourage live fire training as well. Absolutely. I think we all do as gun owners. It's but, part of being a responsible gun owner. That's absolutely that's, that's part of it. But, you know, it's one thing to be able to say, you know, I'm going out to my buddy's farm. Um, we're going to do some shooting this weekend. You know, yeah. a lot of us may have access to a, a location like that. Right. But that's not considered formal firearm instruction under the state no, of Massachusetts, right? Uh, not at all. So, uh, you know, and I got to ask too, I mean, along with the live fire provision that is rumored to be in the Senate bill, we've seen a huge issue in California right now with SB2. Mm-hmm. They changed the training oh, requirements, God. right? And so all of a sudden now USCCA instructors no longer allowed to teach classes, NRA certified instructors no longer allowed to teach classes. And so now you've got this huge bottleneck yeah. of people who are applying for their concealed carry license, but can't get the training because of the state has mm-hmm. thrown up again that type of barrier. Are you hearing yeah, I mean, any rumors or was there anything in the House bill that would cause this same type of effect in Massachusetts? Yes, but not to the same degree. Um, you know, I, I I always find this hilarious that the the state, uh, you know, all the all the all these politicians demonize the hell out of the NRA and you know all these organizations. But in the law right now, you have to be an NRA certified instructor to do this. It's it's just funny. That's the standard. Uh, we didn't see them remove that per se in the house version, but they did um, modify it so that the curriculum had to be approved and parallel, parallelly. Oh, I don't even know how to say the word like uh, uh, put together uh, with the state. So in, in the house bill, we saw all kinds of crazy stuff like, uh, you know, um, I think we talked about it before. They had a provision that said you had to have um, active shooter training and de-escalation training yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we, a lot of that stuff, we were like, this is insane. This is like thousands of dollars worth of training. This is nuts. Like your $100 class is about to turn into like $100 four-hour class is about to turn into like 12 hours and $1,200. It's 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 wild. So, you know, we're, we're, we've seen that stuff. Um just because it's in the House bill doesn't mean it's going to be in the Senate bill. Right. Um, 
you know, there's still a question of what they're going to conference in and out or if they even can. But that's a whole that's another discussion altogether. Okay. Well, um, I tell you what, but, when the when the Cinnabill drops, we'll have you back and talk about like good. how the sausage is getting made here. Yeah. Yeah. Um one, one thing I did one thing I did want to mention to you though, yeah. going back before we get past it. Um you know, I when the Bruin decision came out, I got I got real irritated with Justice Kavanaugh. <laughs> Because his concurrent opinion is is what they they're they've been citing over and over again, where they're talking about how, um, you know, a, a, a licensing scheme is allowed by the Supreme Court. They said it's okay for us to do this, so everyone should have it. But in the same breath, they also said it should not. If you're going to establish a licensing scheme, a, a you know such a barrier to uh, the exercise of a civil right, then you have to make it followable, or you mm-hmm. know, for lack of a better way to say it in my brain at the moment you know, they have to make it doable yeah. and not prohibitive so i think there's a there's a challenge to be mounted to a lot of this stuff on those grounds on that precedent mm-hmm. where you know we're seeing such um maybe not so much like on their face egregious um oversteps but just things where in reality they um the unintended or intended if you want to be cynical about it uh consequences of these new provisions make them unfollowable or untenable for yeah. you know average no, people i i think that's right i mean and you know mm-hmm. kavanaugh talks specifically about uh lengthy wait times or exactly you know exorbitant fees mm-hmm. um but that to me doesn't mean that those are the only types of things no. right um again Including but not limited to yeah right exactly and, and you yeah. know we get, get, get back to the range access issue uh, you know that yeah. is another barrier right so you can have a shall issue system in theory but again if it's mm-hmm. nearly impossible for an applicant to get access yeah. to a range to go through the live fire training well i would say that's an impermissible burden um thankfully I mean, you know, listen, versus reality right and i know the yeah. first circuit you know court of appeals massachusetts all the way across the country from the ninth circuit but in some ways i think it's helpful that california has decided to screw with the rights of gun owners so badly because oh yeah a lot of this stuff is already being litigated. Um, you know, you've got yeah. uh, the lawsuit against the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and yeah. uh, I think Laverne, California, going yep. after these egregious fees, uh, $1,000 or more to apply for a concealed carry license with all of the, Crazy. you know, fees and, and uh, other uh, add-ons. Um, the I think it's a two-year-long wait in Los Angeles County for a lot of folks right now to get their carry license. So, I, you know, the good news is I think some of these issues are already going to be litigated. And if mm-hmm. it gets to that point, Massachusetts – Hopefully you'll be able to have some good court decisions to point to and say, exactly. Look, you know, th- these courts have already said this is wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's always better to stop a bad bill than to try to go after and exactly. overturn a bad law. Uh, and, and that's so, that's why we exist. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so I think now the focus yeah. has to be on stopping these uh, this this awful language from being enshrined into law. Right. Um, again, don't know what the Senate bill is ultimately going to look like. Maybe in a couple of weeks we will. I thought it was interesting that uh, the Senate president, uh, Cynthia Cream. Uh, uh, she's at, not the Senate president. She's the head of the working group for the bill. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Senate majority okay. leader, uh, yep. Cindy Cream, head of the working group, uh, had told reporters um, that the House did their version. Mm-hmm. She said, I, I've just been in touch with different groups to hear their ideas, and I've been meeting with mostly all members. So this is the Senate's bill, what members yeah. of the Senate think they want in a bill. So I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, Mike, but it still it seems like there's still maybe some headbutting between the House and the Senate on this issue, which I oh, think yeah. is beneficial for gun owners. Absolutely. I mean, we've had we've had conversations with senators who are not on our side. Yeah. Um, 
that have looked at the way the house went about doing their their whatever you want to call if you want to call it a process and have said this is ridiculous you know i don't care i've I've said this a whole bunch of times to everyone who wants to listen to me too i i don't care i don't really care how you feel about guns and the second amendment and and the culture in this country it's considered a civil right by a lot of people it's enshrined in the constitution and it's a controversial issue it deserved a lot more than uh goofy legislative dirty tricks yeah. where you know they they hollow out they take a time machine and hollow out an old budget bill stuff this language in there and force you know house ways and means to shove it on the floor and skip half the you know legislative process in the house it's wild right yeah i mean it I think we've talked about that before too, but that the whole, the way the house did this is just insane. I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we've had, we've had a lot of people look at us and say that anybody I described that process to who's not, you know, kind of dug deep into this stuff looks at me like I have a million heads and says, they're allowed to do that. I'm like, yeah, they can do that with, you know, they're one of the rules is that you can suspend the rules and they did that. A whole bunch of times in the process and uh you know it's it's uh legal but you know <laughs> right i mean again you talk about how the sausage is it gets made uh, exactly it's kind of like dropping live kittens into the uh right that's i mean it's just as awful as that yeah that's, that's what we saw the uh, the house version it's uh, insane. come about and it really is insane yeah um, all right, listen, we're going to have you back in a couple of weeks um sure. uh, because cool. i do want to talk when the senate bill actually drops but uh what is your advice to gun owners in the meantime? Should they still be, should they be keeping their powder dry? Should they be contacting their senators right now? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, contact your senators now uh, before the bill comes out. Um, another thing that we have to worry about uh, kind of in the periphery, um, and I'm sorry, I know you might be running a little late here, but there we're also a little worried that Governor Healy uh, could possibly use the recently announced um, revenue shortfalls to kind of leverage votes on this bill, depending on what okay. it looks like. She is, she is sup- superiorly anti-gun. She yeah, is, yeah, uh, yeah. She's huge. I mean, she did her stuff in 2016 where she reinterpreted the assault weapons ban. Um, but the governor can make what are, what are called 9C cuts in Massachusetts. And it's, okay. a, it's, it's a unilateral budget cut uh, where they can apply them to programs that are under the executive branch. Um, and, you know, that sounds benign on its face, but that means like... You know parks programs and 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 stuff in local communities. So uh, I can think of uh, I can think of thirty eight districts, thirty eight house districts right now that are looking down the barrel of some cuts. Uh, but you know, depending on what the Senate comes up with, um, I don't know. Not to be craven and cynical about it, uh, the governor could use a uh, could use that to her advantage. But I don't know. I would tell I would tell people in the state to you know contact your senator, tell them to stay strong. Uh, even in the face of this kind of stuff, tell my feel. You know, same thing as the house. Just keep yeah. at it. Well, that's I, the, the, that the, the signs up there. <laughs> yeah, and listen, when you're talking about anti-gun politicians, um, mm-hmm. I, I think you have to be cynical. I think mm-hmm. you have, you know, absolutely, <laughs> because we're not talking about folks. Uh, again, I mean, we we talked about this just a couple minutes ago. These are folks who refuse to recognize a constitutional right, even if it's one they don't like. They don't have to like yeah. it. It's still there in the Constitution, right? They still right. have to respect that right. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, and they are, you know, just ignoring their oath to uh, protect and defend the Constitution and this right. So, no, I think I think it's okay to be single. Like, I, I, as much of an eternal optimist <laughs> as I am, I think it's probably smart 
to be cynical when we're dealing with the handgun politicians yeah. like Maury Healy. Uh, Mike, as always, man, I really appreciate yeah. you joining us on the program. Love having these conversations. Looking forward to the next one. Fingers crossed that the uh, Senate bill is not uh, completely awful, but I, 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 I either way, exactly. <laughs> we know this is not going to be good news for gun owners, so uh, mm-hmm. we will have much more to talk about in the near future. Mike Harris from the Gun Owners Action League, yeah. org. If you are a Massachusetts gun owner, please, yes, please visit the website. Please yeah. become a member and get involved. And uh, Mike, look forward to doing this again very soon, man. You too. Thanks a lot, Cam. Appreciate it. My thanks to Mike for joining us on the program. And uh, yeah, looking forward to having him back again here. Very soon, hopefully with some not egregiously awful news to discuss. Right now, speaking of egregiously awful news, let's turn to today's recidivist report. We'll get to our good deed of the day and our uh, armed citizen story as well. But this one, this one's just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, Headline from the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, probation, no prison for a central Minnesota man who inflicted severe brain injuries to his baby. The father abides by probation. The conviction will be reduced from a felony to a misdemeanor. I, I mean, that headline just makes your stomach hurt, doesn't it? 28-year-old Andrew Erickson sentenced yesterday in Crow Wing County District Court to five years probation after pleading guilty to first-degree assault in connection with his violent actions towards his daughter, Gracie, on the 4th of July weekend last year when she was just three and a half months old. Two days after that assault at a Minneapolis hospital, Erickson told a sheriff's investigator that he had dropped his daughter. He uh, then told the deputies, okay, I might have shaken her five or six times before I dropped her. Uh, And then he said, okay, maybe it was closer to nine or ten times. I don't know why on earth a prosecutor would even offer a plea deal when you've got a confession like that. That is, in fact, what happened in Crow Wing County District Court. Judge uh, Eric Asgard, again, sentencing Erickson to five years probation for this. Following the terms of the plea agreement between the defense and the prosecution, uh, the conviction, again, not only uh, resulted in five years probation, but if Erickson successfully completes the terms of that probation, then the felony conviction for shaking his daughter and leaving her with severe brain injuries will be reduced from a felony down to a misdemeanor. He's got to pay $50,000 restitution, cannot have any contact with his daughter, has to stay away from illicit drugs and alcohol, has to receive counseling from a licensed therapist, all of which, again, is great. Um, But even the defense attorney noted that this sentence was a departure, a downward departure from the state guidelines, which call for a term of at least seven years and two months behind bars. Now, of course, the defense attorney, uh, Ryan Gary, happy that his client got that downward departure. I'm sure he's going to you know, be able to use that when he's getting more clients. He said the parties worked very hard to orchestrate an equitable plea agreement, given the obvious difficult nature of this case. Equitable to whom? Equitable to whom? The baby's mom, Gabrielle Palacio, told the sheriff's investigator she and her two sisters had spent July 3rd swimming and relaxing before they went to a Brainerd, Minnesota to hang out leaving Erickson behind to look after Gracie and her two siblings. Uh, Erickson called Palacio that night. He said Gracie was, quote, breathing funny and acting weird. So she raced home and arrived as her daughter was being put into an ambulance. Um, Sheriff's deputy 
arrived about 9.30 that night as well after a report of a baby having trouble breathing. Gracie was admitted to Children's Hospital in Minneapolis where uh, she was determined to have extensive brain damage, various other injuries to her spine. And a nurse said that the injuries were inconsistent with Erickson's, Erickson's contention that the child fell during a diaper change. I, I again, I, I'm just, I'm so angry about this. And I realize, you know, we can get angry about every one of these stories that I do with these recidivist reports. And time and time again, you see these individuals who are uh, cut breaks. Now, in this case, Mr. Erickson, I guess not a true recidivist. There's no indication that he has any prior criminal history. But even for a first offense, a little girl left with lifelong injuries, three and a half months old. When Erickson walks away, let's say he completes the terms of his probation. Five years from now, is his daughter going to have recovered from her injuries? Doesn't sound like it. No, she is sentenced to a life of these injuries. And her father, the one who subjected her to those injuries, won't do a damn day behind bars. Again, it is enough to make you sick. <sighs> All right, let's try to uh, move on here. Today's uh, armed citizen story from Miles Stomping Grounds in Oklahoma City, where a uh, car dealership owner shot and killed a customer in self-defense, according to police. This happened on the uh, city's southwest side, a uh, part of the city I knew very well. It's where I grew up. Southwest uh, 29th Street Motors uh, was the location. Officers found the 55-year-old victim identified as Marvin Thomas, who was uh, deceased when they arrived at the business. An investigation revealed that Thomas was in a, quote, altercation with the owner of 29th Street Motors. Um, the owner shot Thomas when the customer began swinging a knife, according to authorities. Police say the owner not arrested. Uh, Sergeant Dylan Quirk telling uh, KOCO Channel 5 in Oklahoma City that the initial argument was over some business dealing of some sort. Police say currently it appears that this is a case of self-defense, but it will be presented to the Oklahoma County District Attorney's Office. KSEO reported it is the second incident in recent months that required a police presence at the business. In November, a customer was arrested after threatening somebody else at the dealership as well, uh, which don't know how long the owner of 29th Street Motors has been carrying on the job. But after a customer was arrested for threatening a worker there, might have been why he decided to uh, do so. While he was on the clock, we'll keep our eyes open for any more details on that uh, investigation and the results of the uh, uh, DA's findings. But again, as of right now, Oklahoma City Police do consider this to be a case of self-defense. Interestingly enough, you know, I wrote about this story briefly at Bearing Arms yesterday and coupled it with yesterday's armed citizen story from Oakland, California. And in the course of doing my research on the Oklahoma City story, I found something that I I I, I found it very surprising. I found it even more surprising that <laughs> this isn't talked about more. Uh, you know, California supposedly has the best gun laws in the country, right? So, and supposedly it should have a much lower violent crime rate, let's say in Oakland than in Oklahoma City, which is constitutional carry, uh, which has no waiting periods, no uh, universal background checks, nothing of the sort, no red flag law. And yet, Oakland, California, with a Population roughly 250,000 less than Oklahoma City had twice the number of homicides last year. All of the gun control laws in place, 10-day waiting period, red flag law, bans on so-called assault weapons, bans on so-called large-capacity magazines, right? Bans on gun shows, bans on uh, marketing to minors, uh, ghost gun bans. I mean, you name it, California's got it. 
And there were 126 homicides in Oakland, California last year. There were 74 in Oklahoma City. There actually would have been 67, but there was a change in Oklahoma law. So if you sell fentanyl to somebody and they die as a result of that, you're now charged with murder. So if you take away the fentanyl-related homicides, um, and I don't necessarily know why you would, but you get down to 67 homicides. So less than half of the homicides in Oakland, California. And in Oklahoma City, about 687,000 people. So about 250,000 more uh, residents in Oklahoma City than in Oakland, and a homicide rate that is roughly half that of the California city. I found that interesting. Obviously, it uh, completely uh, negates and rebuts the uh, argument from gun control advocates that, you know, more guns equals more crime, and of course, more gun laws equals less crime. Not the case when you compare those two cities. All right, finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. Not everybody is a... Uh, well, I'm not going to go back to our recidivist report. I'm just going to try to move on. Good Samaritan rescues driver from burning car after crash in Memorial Heights. This uh, in the Houston, Texas area. Happened, um, I think it was, a uh, yeah, just yesterday. Uh, or I guess maybe, uh, yeah, Tuesday night, late Tuesday night. So really just a few hours ago from when I'm uh, recording this. Investigators on the scene said it appeared the man crashed his vehicle into two parked cars. And then his vehicle burst into flames. The uh, Good Samaritan... Uh, Harjip Singh says he was watching television and he heard what sounded like an explosion. Uh, obviously, you know, you speeding car smashing into two other vehicles. Yeah. He said, I got out here as fast as I could. I opened the front door. I got my brother's help and his legs were stuck. So we were tugging and tugging and finally just pulled him out. The uh, driver taken to a local hospital. Again, um, the car was on fire when Singh and his brother rescued the driver. Uh, where he was pinned from that vehicle, his condition unknown at this point. Police haven't said what might have led to the crash. But again, that Samaritan taken to the hospital, at least breathing and alive, which likely would not have been the case were it not for the quick thinking and fast actions of Harjip Singh and his brother there in Houston, Texas. So in the right place, at the right time, we'll able to do the right thing. We thank you for your very, very good deed. Now that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I am going to try to uh, do a little mental hygiene, scrub my brain of that uh, recidivist report story that we talked about earlier today. We will see you here tomorrow, though, with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com. In the meantime, we are, uh, again, keeping up to date on everything going on with your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see in our reporting, I would encourage you to go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Not only will you get exclusive content, you won't find anywhere else, but you will get that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you are supporting the independent pro segment journalism that we're doing. Thank you very much for that support. All right. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.